This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Educators today say the exodus never happened. But the rocks that prove it beg to differ. Citing new evidence that connects the dots of history, Dr. Miles Jones reveals how the exodus not only happened, but was the dawn of the world's first alphabet, which became the model for all others, including English, because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Well, Shabbat Shalom to our fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Hey, tonight you are in for a treat. Dr. Miles Jones is back for a brand new series that will take us all through October. It's connecting the dots of the Exodus. Dr. Jones is going to sift through the sands of time to uncover a treasure map of markers that suggest that Exodus not only happened the way the Bible says it did, but that its events influenced every written language to this day. Let's talk about it with my co-host, Angie Clark. Hi there, Scott. Glad to be back. You know what? Before we talk about all that, mm -hmm. we have a guest with us today coming to us via Zoom. Let's say hello to Tim Mahoney. Thank you so much for having me. Certainly. Now, we, we really love your, your recent film about the journey home. Wow, uh, your personal story. And now you have something else coming up Monday and Tuesday of this coming week, so October 17, 18. And right. that is a new movie called Journey to Mount Sinai. Is that right? Right. Patterns of Evidence, Journey to Mount Sinai. Now, what's for me, this has taken a long time. It's been a journey to get here, and uh, uh, but I'm excited about it because there's something very different about this. This is a two-part film, and we, we've actually uh, given people an opportunity to in join the investigation. So I have a Mount Sinai scorecard. Uh, so you, when you go to the movie, you can print this out ahead of time. If you go to our website, patternsofevidence.com, we've got a download for this, and it will give you the biblical references, the map of the mountains that we're looking at, and this scorecard. So you can play along uh, as you're watching the movie and you can take and determine, you know, if you think that's, uh, is this evidence working to fit the biblical references? Yes, maybe, not so sure, no, you know. So that's that's gonna be fun for people, I think, to be a part of this over this two film series. Wow, so two film series. All right, so mm -hmm. that answers, Angie, you had a question about when and where it plays and if we're playing again, right? Right. So what, what was that about? What, what was your so question? So I here, was Tim? just wondering, Tim, if it, but first of all, hi. It's so good to see hi. you back here. And yes, thank um, you. I was just wondering if this was going to be a one-time showing. Is it multiple times? It's going to be uh, shown uh, twice, uh, October 17th and 18th in theaters. And it's really important to have that support from your audience and from all the people that are Patterns of Evidence fans to come out to the theater and to see it. Bring your friends along. I think this is a good type of film uh, for you to bring, you know, uh, maybe family and friends that are, you know, questioning the Bible or don't really right. know. Because it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be really well 
received. It's it's going to it's a great investigation, and you're going to see um, uh, biblical uh, evidence that uh, is going to give you something to talk about afterwards. So, if you've been looking for that opportunity to to take someone somewhere, uh, this might be the time to do it. That's that's great. Also, too, if if people did not see your personal testimony, it was amazing, and I would suggest watching it. Uh, the journey home. Yeah. Yes, the journey home. It was beautiful, Tim. Well, the, the journey home is somewhat interconnected to this this idea of the journey because in that, you know, mm. I've spent a lot of my life, uh, you know, searching for this exodus. And I've asked myself, well, why is that so important to me? And I think that in my own life, and I think in all of our lives, we're, God is calling us on an exodus. Mm. He's taking us from one place and he's bringing us to another. And um, so as we were making this film and as we had different people who were working on it, I started losing friends and losing people uh, mm. because of uh, diseases and different things that would happen. And, and I just felt like we needed to capture that testimony. Now, Tim, I, I'm sure folks are saying, okay, wait a second, wait a second, what is this two-part thing? So this is right. the first movie, October 17, 18. And of course, uh, we want to get tickets first for that, but uh, we'll come back to that in a second. There's a second part to this? And, and, and if so, when does it come out? That, that next uh, film will be coming out, uh, we're hoping in the first part of the next year. We're still trying to raise the funding for that uh, that film, but we're in the midst of it. Uh, that doesn't usually stop me from trying to make the film. Uh, and uh, yes, we're going to be looking at six different mountains. We're going to be looking at the traditional Mount Sinai, Jebel mm. Uh, Sania is a, is a mountain people might not have heard about. And then we're going to be looking at Hashem El Tarif. Uh, but we're going to be talking about Jebel Alaz. I know a lot of your uh, fans are, are are following the uh, Jebel Oz thing. Well, that's coming. I actually started Jebel Oz. And then people oh, say, wow. hey, well, you're being biased. You haven't looked at everything. So what I decided to do is to take a break, go, and I spent years looking at the other mountains. And we, we're going to be going on to um, Harkarkum, Halab Badar, I think it is, and then Jebel Allahs. We're going to be looking at these six different mountains, and then we're going to use the scorecard to say, well, where is the evidence? You know, what are we looking for? And we're looking for the, you know, the journey to the mountain, campsites and wildernesses that we can identify, travel speed, uh, where's Midian, what's the backside of the wilderness is one of these points we're looking at, and then artifacts, altars and pillars, large encampment area, golden calf worship. Is there any evidence for that? Inscriptions and other evidences. And then we're going to be looking at uh, uh, also the attributes of the mountain. You know, is there water there? Was there a possibility that water was there? And uh, a stream and a cave. So there's a number of things that this scorecard is going to be able to kind of help you look through and it's fun. You know, it gives you a little chance to read the Bible, prepare yourself for these films. And so, yeah, the first film's coming out October 17th and 18th. And we're in over 750 theaters. And by the way, if you're interested, we're also able, for people that are in rural areas, we've got uh, uh, another network that if you look at, you, uh, if you're not near a theater, it's possible uh, that uh, they'll be able to see it in their churches uh, after the after the showing uh, in a faith network that's coming that can can stream it uh, to wherever they wherever they if they have a group they they've got the connection they'll be able to do that as well so Tim is is that information also at uh, patternsofevidence.com uh, uh, yes uh, I'm trying to think if it's up right now but it, it should be we're going to be giving more information about that but that whole that whole way to get the information out if you sign up for thinkers as well that will be communicating a lot of this on our website how to find out how to see this movie. All right, excellent. And so, 
Your other movies are all available online on DVD and Blu-ray, I'm assuming. Uh, any chance of any of those coming back to theaters? Are there any plans in the works? Well, right now, the way it works is you almost have to have fresh fruit. You know, they they want uh, the latest. And so that's what we're working on is just getting these next two films, Patterns of Evidence, Journey to Mount Sinai, uh, one and two out in this next year. That's the vision. And then we're going to go on from there. All but right. uh, 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 we do have those films available and you can also use them. Uh, you can get uh, a license so you can show them to uh, large groups if, if people want to do it. And that has happening quite a bit. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate the fruit coming from your ministry. And I call it a ministry because it helps so many people. And again, I think we've talked before about how uh, folks don't need to even have seen any of your previous work. These will be uh, fresh fruit, if you will, uh, for them to see without knowing anything else and have really something to think about. So Tim, thank you so much for your work. We really appreciate it. I know uh, thousands, even millions, I'm going to say, around the world uh, do as well. So thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you again for having me. So now, Angie, yes. you have a story about Michael and Tim and how they met. Well, not, not really a story, but I'm just thankful that we get to be part of this journey with Tim because of Michael opening up his platform and allowing this to happen. Yeah, they did. They met at a Christian booksellers uh, conference or something to that Years effect. Years ago. Years huh? ago. And I, to my knowledge, it was Michael encouraged Tim to move forward and do what his dream was. And from there, that's, that's when all of this happened. So, so thankful for that. They've been friends for many years. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yes, thank you for reminding us of that. All right, so Dr. Miles Jones reveals tonight how the Exodus not only happened, but it was the dawn of the world's first alphabet, which became the model for all others. Stay with us. The biblical story of Joseph is packed with extraordinary events, but the most amazing part is not even in the Bible. I mean, the story in scripture is so good. Joseph's miracle ended the seven years of famine, even though the Nile was still flooding, because mm. it remained at astronomically high levels for, for another 20 years. Joseph's miracle with Dr. Miles Jones may forever change archaeology from a secular science to one that uses the Bible as its most accurate textbook. When you donate $50 to A Rude Awakening International in October, we'll send you Joseph's Miracle with Dr. Miles Jones on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you two gifts, Joseph's Miracle, plus a pair of handcrafted artwork magnets featuring semi-precious stones from Israel. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts, Joseph's Miracle, the artwork magnets, and the ironic blessing in an elegant wall hanging. Hurry, offer ends October 31st. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. For the past 20 years, I've lived in the land of Israel, and I've had many occasions to eat in the home of Orthodox Jews, and on Shabbat, as the two hollow loaves were brought out, representing the double portion of manna that fell from heaven, and that we would not need to be collecting manna the next day, but his provision is there for us. And as they said the blessing, Baruchatah, Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, homotzi lechem min haaretz. I, of course, know the uh, Adonai is really Yehovah. I know that. And then as they took the cup and said, Baruchatah Yehovah, Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, Borei pari hagafen, I would sit at that table and I would recognize and understand that what they are doing, 
This is what was done from the time that the Melchizedek brought forth bread and wine to Abraham. And Yeshua said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. This cup represents the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, wherever you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. The remembrance of them are all around. And this is what the Almighty put in place for us to understand. And this is why Yeshua said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. We do this in remembrance of him. Shabbat Shalom. We are told in the Bible that the rocks will cry out. Is that literal? Is it figurative? Well, we have a meaning for you today from Dr. Miles Jones, who joins us today for Connecting the Dots. Welcome, Dr. Jones. I am overjoyed to be here. You know, last time we met, we talked all about uh, the, the writing of God and, and all these uh, discoveries about uh, how the Messianic Church and the, we call it, uh, the, the well, we, we reference pirates. <laughs> there right. Was, there was one part, uh, I really like going back to that, the, the pirates <laughs> of the Messianics and, and they, how they basically, uh, their influence has been in many more things throughout history than we thought. Yeah. And it all backs up to this. Uh, it does, talking right. talking about this, the rocks crying out. This is the anchor of the word. In fact, in the book I wrote, The Sons of Zion versus Sons of Greece, I go back to the Exodus because that's the anchor of the word. You know, if that's not true, what does the rest of it matter? You know, if the foundation is not there. Mm. So the, the Exodus has to be validated as something that actually happened because the Sinai Covenant is God's major, major intervention on behalf of his people. And, I mean, there are miracles that, that were in every step of Moses' journey. So it's, I mean, it's an incredible story, mm -hmm. but it's all dismissed by modern, by modern Bibli by modern archeologists, by the way. It's the field's been secularized, mm -hmm. not all of them. And we get to see a film of one of them, Dr. Scott Stripling. But first of all, this is a stop the presses moment. Okay, why? Because in 2015, I came on this show with Michael Rood and it's, I think it was called the, the Great Secret of Sinai, all right? Mm -hmm. And we introduced our viewers to the fact that the, the inscriptions at Sinai, which I had translated, uh, Jim and Penny Caldwell, the ones who got them back out of, uh, out of Arabia, mm -hmm. but from the, the Sinai site in Midian, Jabal al-Laz, what has been renamed, used to be called Horeb on the old maps, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but those inscriptions were the earliest alphabet and the, al the alphabet of letter symbols and the alphabet is considered the greatest innovation in human history. And it was given to us by Yehovah on those tablets of stone. And he talks about it in Exodus 32, 16. The, the tablets were the work of Yehovah and the writing was the writing of Yehovah, the writing of God. This is the writing of God. So. And it's, a, it's the alphabet. It, I mean, really, this was a marriage contract. Right. He was marrying the Israelites. That was his bride, right? 
That was the covenant. And that was the covenant, and that was the dowry. He was giving them this mm. incredible, incredible gift. Of course, they messed that up, right? Yes. We're humans. We tend to mess things up. They slid right back into idolatry and had to start over. That started with Adam and Eve, right? They broke the covenant. Sinai again. That's why, and it's, remember, this is prophesied in the time of Moses that he will send another. And that was Yeshua. That's, that's, that's his moment. But this is, this is Stop the Press's moment because we announced that in 2015. Right now, evidence is coming in from archaeologists everywhere, and it's just been cascading and cascading and cascading. So today in this series, we get to connect the dots of all this new evidence. Those same letter symbols that we saw at Sinai, we're now seeing in Egypt before and in Israel after. So what we have found now verifies what we initially talked about in 2015? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. The same letters, and we're going we're gonna to show you. Okay. We're going to show you exactly the whole story as we go through, starting today and on the succeeding episodes. Wow. It's but it's a great thing. It's like putting the jigsaw pieces of a puzzle together. At that moment, when you see the picture, <laughs> you put the last couple of pieces and you see the picture. We're at that point. Wow, that's and, amazing. And you got it. First, right here on Shabbat. Now, what does that? What is this? Maybe folks don't understand the significance of that. Why is that important? That, that we connect the dots of this uh, of this Hebrew alphabet the, the, all through. That's, through a, the that's a that's a great question. You know, the, I don't think there's any news to anyone. The, the education system is trying to uh, separate your children from their faith, and the tool that they use, the attack that they use, is the Exodus. Okay, they said the Exodus did not happen. At the time it says it did in the Bible, it happened 200 years later. Okay, well, when you, when you look at the evidence, the archaeological evidence, 200 years later, there is no evidence of the Exodus. But if you go back to the biblical time frame, as David Roll did with the new chronology, he's a prominent biblical archaeologist. You, you've had him on here. Right? Yes, we've had him several times. Yes. yes. Love David Roll. Right, and he, he's not even a believer. He has a respect for people of belief, but he wasn't trying to prove the Bible or anything. He was trying to prove the correct chronology, called the new chronology. And once he did that, he found the problems with the Egyptian chronology. They had the most evidence over time. He fixed them, provided evidence for them, and bingo, mm. the new chronology matches the biblical chronology. Mm. So that's what I wrote about in my book, The Writing of God. It's called the New Chronology Edition. And uh, that's so to get the that, that's where that's where we started. That proves it all. And and once you do that, you get new parts of the story, you know, because you you also have the Egyptian record. Mm. Once you get the chronology right, because the Egyptians they recorded everything. So we've got some really interesting things to show people today that it just hadn't been fit into the into the jigsaw puzzle yet. So to show the ridiculousness of, of saying that the Exodus never happened, uh, like the 200-year the gap, is like saying, well, America never existed because in the 1300s there was no guy named George Washington. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And there are people that are so anti-religious in, in, in academia. Now, I'm not trying to paint everybody with the same brush, but there are people that would prefer to contort history mm. rather than give the Israelites credit for anything. <laughs> right? Wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. So, you know, one of the claims is that they were not even literate until they got to the taking away 
in, in Babylon, which happened in the, in the first millennium BC, mm. all right? And the, the, the Exodus happened in the middle of the second millennium BC. I mean, almost, mm. a, almost a thousand years before that, you know? So they're, they're claiming they weren't even literate till they went to Babylon. The huh. Babylonians taught them how to write. But so that means everything the Bible, talking about all these books and all these letters going everywhere, that's all nonsense, just made up nonsense. Mm. So, but that's their claim. That's their basis. And they attack on the Exodus, all right? So every, every Christian, every believer needs to understand the Exodus and be able to debate it, really, on the, on the basis of the chronology. It even has ramifications mm. for Revelation because I, I often tell people, if you want to know what Revelation is all about, read Exodus and then read Revelation. It's the same thing. That's why we call it the greater Exodus. So to your point, we had better understand what the Exodus is all about and what really happened there. And now we have evidence to show that what we had always hypothesized is, is true. Yes, no, that's right, we do. Now we can connect the dots. Mm. We can provide the evidence of the Exodus and it's solid. Any reasonable mind can connect these dots and put it together. Not that the world of academics is full of reasonable minds. You know, there are some that are. Some admirably so, but others are just, you know, they've got a, an agenda, and we know what that agenda is. Yeah, so, so this new evidence we have, I understand we have a, a clip we want to watch of uh, a Dr. Stripling, is that yes, right? Dr. Oh. Scott Stripling, yeah. Okay. This is the new evidence, it's very exciting. You know, he did the excavation, he did, uh, continued the excavation of Joshua's altar, first, first excavated by Adam Zertal, you know, and made an incredible discovery. So let's watch it right okay. now. I'm Dr. Miles Jones. Welcome to the series, The Writing of God. And we're continuing our interview with Dr. Scott Stripling, who did the amazing discovery of the inscriptions on the lead tablets at Mount Ebal. How did you end up sifting through the diggings <laughs> at the discovery of Joshua's altar on Mount Ebal? I had become a big believer in wet sifting many years ago when I was a supervisor on the Temple Mount Sifting Project in mm -hmm. Jerusalem. And I made up my mind then that when I had the opportunity to have water at a site, that I was going to become the first to wet sift everything in the field in situ so that we knew where the material was coming from, so that it could actually aid us in the dating process. Right. So you, you, took, it, you took it over to Mount Ebal and you started to sift their dump pile. What, what did you find there? So we found uh, about 268 diagnostic pottery sherds, mm -hmm. rims, handles, bases. We found diagnostic flints. We found metal objects, probably styli for writing, mm -hmm. um, and other metal objects, blades and so forth as well. We found um, the tablet, of course, <laughs> itself. And when I saw it, I knew that it was a cursed tablet. A cursed tablet is exactly the kind of writing you would expect to find mm -hmm. there. On day one, I could see glyptic markings on the outside. So uh -huh. I knew that there were markings. Mm -hmm. But, of course, the key was going to be on the inside. Right, you know, would right. we be able to discover it? Through using tomographic scanning, we were able to penetrate the lead, mm -hmm. see what was on the inside. And we found the first thing I saw was an aleph. 
a very archaic form of an aleph. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's the first letter of Arur. What if the next letter is Resh? Well, oh, it, was. it was. Okay, and so this is going, uh, three continents, of course, are working. So we're on different time zones doing this collaboration. And so uh, when I saw the first Arur curse, I thought, oh my goodness, this is an archaic Hebrew, older than Paleo-Hebrew, and we've got the word cursed. Yes, it Ultimately, is. we recovered about 40 letters on the inside. Would you like for me to tell you what it says? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Around so, the edge of our seat. <laughs> <laughs> it repeats the word cursed, but it's cursed, cursed, cursed. Cursed are you by the God Yahweh. You will die cursed. Cursed you will surely die. Cursed by Yahweh. Cursed, cursed, cursed. It, it, it's an amazing thing, and it's in a... I think it was Gershon Galil, right, who did the translation, and Peter Vanderdeel. Vanderdeel. Uh, Peter Vanderveen and and Gershon Galil are my two epigraphers mm -hmm. uh, in our collaboration, <clears throat> and uh, they have done an excellent job of deciphering the text. We have talked about the importance of this. What would you say is the most important mm -hmm. thing? Are things about this discovery? Well, maybe three things come to mind. Um, the proof that there was literacy in early Israel when the Bible says that it existed, at least limited literacy. Uh, and that's very important because those who advocate the documentary hypothesis, for example, many scholars, our friends <laughs> to the left, mm -hmm. you know, they're essentially saying that the Bible wasn't redacted until, say, the Persian period or the Hellenistic period because there wasn't an alphabet with which it could have been written. Right. Now we have proof that indeed there was. Uh, you might want to mention... It briefly explain what the documentary hypothesis is. Sure. Well, the di documentary hypothesis is a belief system that the Bible was composed in segments over a period of time. You've got a J, E, D, P sources, and this is an interesting point, for example, that the J and the E sources are composed hundreds of years apart and later redacted into one document. In our inscription, we have L, and Yahoo, Yahweh, mm -hmm. juxtaposed side by side. Right, that's And that un undoes the documentary hypothesis. Okay, so if I'm not mistaken, Dr. Jones, this whole theory that the Israelites did not have a language until Babylon, mm -hmm. is that what Dr. Dr. Stripling is saying here? That blows that all out of the water because they were literate at the time that God right. said, write this down. He, he, he didn't say they didn't have a language. He said they didn't have a written language. They didn't have a written language. Well, okay. that's, that's not what he says. That's what the mod, modern historians and archaeologists say, that they didn't have a written language. Right. So they couldn't have written the Bible, for example. Right. So it's all designed to, you know... You discredit know, the Israelites. Discredit the word, yeah. right? Okay, so they when, they when they went to Babylon, what he's talking about is literacy. They were literate. They were literate at this point when they entered long before. Mm -hmm. That was like, what, seven centuries before they got, or, or six, before they got carried away to, to Babylon. Mm -hmm. So it was centuries before that, they were literate. And this is where it happened. It happened at Sinai, because Sinai was a teaching covenant, you know, and the Lord said unto Moses, come up to me in the mountain, be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and a law and commandments, which I have written, that you may teach them. Mm. That makes it a teaching covenant. And what were they teaching? They were teaching the word and the writing of God. So Yehovah gave us the moral principle of his word. At the same time, he gave us the alphabetical principle of the writing. And they're mm. both tremendously important. But the alphabetical principle, the, the, the medium of the message, is what has pretty much been in dispute here, right? Mm -hmm. He gave yep. us the alphabet. 
of letter symbols because the second commandment says you shall make no graven images, right? To the Israelites coming out of Egypt, graven images were hieroglyphs. And these letters did come from the glyphs. They were simplified Mm -hmm. glyphs. But then they were simplified, abstracted, made easier to write, you know, and they were no longer symbols like that. That is the first actual alphabet. So graven images are not things like uh, making an idol that we normally think of, or is it that part parcel as well? They are, they're the same type. There are two types. Standing idol would Mm -hmm. be like, you know, the golden, the golden calf. The golden calf, sure, yep. Right, mm-hmm. but there are other, any kind of the Egyptian statues and stuff. But graven images are an abomination of the same kind because they're all little figures that are considered God markings. You know, mm-hmm. they're symbols of gods and other things, you know. Well, we think of the- and you uh, bow down to them and get Right, sacrificed. so the hieroglyphs were all about uh, bird gods and yes. things of, like this. Yes, and, they were, yeah. yeah. And all of that was forbidden. And, and see, he knew that if you started- creating all these icons, people would be worshiping the icons mm. rather than the ideals. That's why he refuses to be pictured. Okay. Because you know? he doesn't want you bowing down to a picture or a rock statue. He wants you to come on, stretch your mind and your heart and have direct contact with him and know who he is. Mm. Radical, radical stuff back in that time. You know, but it moved you away from superstitious thinking, from human sacrifice and, and things of those natures. So hmm. it, was, it was incredibly important. And the alphabet puts the pedal to the metal in terms of human innovations, considered the most important innovation. So the most important achievement, you know, because you can write things down and the next generation can work on your ideas and, and build on them. You can translate things from language to language. So it's great. It was written with the finger of God. He gave it unto Moses when he finished communing with him upon Mount Sinai. Two tables of testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. It could be important, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Something written by God, you might want to pay attention. The only message he's ever actually written to us. And and we're going to take you through three letters in the alphabet because we're going to be looking at a series of descriptions from Egypt to Sarabit in the Sinai to Mount Sinai in Midian in Arabia and now to mm. Mount Ebal and we're going to show you these are the same set of alphabet letters still pictographic some of them are still pictographic but you can see they're changing you know into where they're becoming just totally symbolic Letter symbols, no longer pictures. Right. right. So, and this, this is the same language, though. It's like changing a font. Yes. No. It right? is. I mean, it is the same language. It's Semitic language. It's Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Right. You can read them. We can read them because they are in Hebrew or Proto-Hebrew. Proto just means before. So, right. go back as far as you know Hebrew. What came before? Like it changing is, from uh, King James English to today. Yeah. Same time. Same same language, just written differently. Yes. Okay. So the the first one we're looking at is the kaf. You can see that that's uh, it came from the Palm of the hand. Now, mm-hmm. this is in Strong's. You can know, have your Strong's 3705, 3705. This comes from an Egyptian glyph, the palm of the hand. See, three hash marks. You can see that on the slide. Okay, so it means, it literally means the cup of the hand. Okay. Or the cup, the instep of the foot. So the bowl of the hand, the bowl of the foot. So it literally means the palm of the hand or the sole of the foot. Okay. Right? So when... And it, it's become our letter K today. It's the kaf in, mm. in Hebrew. It's become our letter K. So the K. kaf is different from the yad, which means the, the hand, 
right? It's the yod does mean the. Oh, hand. yod. I'm sorry, yod. Yeah. Yeah, it does mean it does mean the hand. Okay. But kaf means cup. Okay. Cup of the hand, the instep of the foot. Okay. So it means cup. Okay, but it's it it's, comes to the same thing, sort of. Gotcha. But it, usually they use it for the sole of the feet. So one of the blessings of the episode, of the Exodus was that he gave them land, right? They say that every book in the Old Testament mentions land. They wanted, to them, that was prosperity. Mm-hmm. Have land to, to cultivate and to grow things on. So he says, everywhere the soles of your feet shall tread, so be yours. From the wilderness in Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea, shall your coast be. That's from Deuteronomy. 11.24, he promised them land, all right? And he told them to place wherever the soles of your feet shall tread. So they're marking where the soles of their feet have tread, mm. right? So that was, these are the footprints of the Israelites that we find at Mount Sinai, right here. Right, and these have become famous now. And I think a, a lot incredible? of the watchers of this program have understood now what these three markings mean. But if you could just briefly tell us that, and we're gonna go to a break in a sec, but just uh, what is the uh, the meaning of well, these the, three hats? These were brought out by by uh, Jim and Penny Caldwell. They, mm-hmm. got, they got these pictures out. They did a wonderful job of it. And I sat in their living room, we discussed this, and we looked at it and we found this is the cough. You see, remember the palm of the hand, the, the mm-hmm. three hash marks? It was simplified to just three hash marks sometimes. Ah. So when you see these three hash marks beside the, the footprints, each set of footprints marking the soles of their feet has the three hash marks indicating it's the soles of their feet they're marking their territory. Wow. This became their wasm, their tribal sign. Wow. And it's alphabetic in nature. This is, a, this is the first literary act of the Israelites that you're looking at right here. All right, well, we're going to come back to that. All right, hang on for a moment. If you're enjoying this like I am, we need your support. And thank you for bringing Dr. Miles Jones here. It's the only way that this happens. Someone else donated so you could see this today. Would you also donate so that others can see this into the future? That's how this whole thing works. It's paying it forward. We'll give you a couple of minutes to do it. Thank you in advance. Hey, thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. It's on shows like this where we learn that Adidas was created by the Israelites, the three hash marks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Admit, now it comes from the, the cough. Yes, it comes from the cough. Simplified. It means cup. The cup. cup of the hand, okay. our instep of the foot. And we've seen these, there's a, there's a bunch of them, and you can see them here, the three hash marks and the three hash marks in the other one. Mm. You know, to, they're a little, they're a little light. But the the question is, is there proof that these three hash marks are alphabetic? We said yeah, or are they just a design? Exactly. Yeah, three hash marks is fairly common. Like a cross is really common. Straight line, circle, they're all common icons used in pictographs. Right. Well, here it is. In and this comes from a uh, an inscription at Rephidim, just before they got to the base of Mount Sinai. And this, this uh, I translated this inscription, and it says, Died Kaliya, Died Kaliya. And these are all letter symbols. There's, they're not even pictographs here. Now, you can see there's two ox heads above it. Those are alephs. They're from the old pictographic alphabet, but they're not part of this inscription. So you're looking mm. at an inscription that's right on the cusp of them changing over from the pictographic to the totally symbolic letters, letter symbols rather than letter pictures. Got you. Okay, and that's a really important thing. And it took a while. It didn't happen overnight. A lot of people didn't get the memo. So we see by the time they got to Mount Ebel, they still got some 
pictographic elements, at least the people that wrote that tablet. Okay. Did. Well, there were 12 tribes, you know, they're all. <laughs> yeah, there, there were people that just didn't get the memo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably Dan. Dan they, didn't get the memo. He could be. But, but eventually they did get it. The convention stock. And this is, this is kind of typical of, uh, uh, I call it the quasi-literate period where people uh, are just learning how to do it. It can mm. take centuries. Wow. Because there's not really m- many people can read. So why write? There's no one who can read it. Why read if there's nothing to read? So what are we to make of died Kalia? Well, this is, um, this is the, the, the thing about it is that you can see the triple hash mark in the middle of that inscription, and that is a use of the, the triple hash mark as the letter K, the kaf. Okay. All right. So that's what we're making of it. Mm, <laughs> so that's really important, this one is. Now, we're, the next letter we're going to do is the aleph. And the aleph is the ox head. We saw that in the last inscription. But that became our A. You can see how it transferred. You can see the, how the straight lines with the hash mark across. It looks like an ox head. Mm-hmm. Good one. But they used it. They didn't have a convention on orientation. So oftentimes it was sideways. But then by the Roman era, it got flipped upside down. And is, mm. it's now our letter A. It's a so this literally comes from ancient yep. Hebrew, our, our yep. letter A. They do, yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's the whole point, that the alphabet came from the Hebrews. Greeks copied it, right? See, and that's what we want to get into here as well, a little yeah, bit later on, that this is not Greek it. to Hebrew, it's right. Hebrew to Greek. Yes, and you can see it came from, you can see they came from the same symbols, and they have the same name. They have mm. Semitic names, which doesn't mean anything in Greek, Right. <laughs> they don't mean anything in Greek, you know, but they're Semitic names, so it's quite obvious it came from the Hebrews, even though they try to deny even obvious things like that. Well, hopefully we can dispel some of that in this So this is the theory. Aleph. That's our second letter. Mm-hmm. First one was the Kaf, the Triple Hashmak. Okay. Second one is the Aleph, which was the Ox Heads, now the letter A. And the third one is going to be the Hay. But here are the, here are the inscriptions at Sinai. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. That's Exodus 17.8. This inscription says, died Amalek. You know, they were, they rose up against them. They rose up and fought them because they were picking off the stragglers. They're robbing and raping and killing, basically, is what they're doing. God hated the Amalekites. The first book he commanded Moses to write was a book of memorial, which was a curse against the Amalekites for what they had done. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so this comes straight, this little story that we're going to show you comes straight out of the pages of the Exodus. I mean, it's incredible. These three, these three that we're showing you were found in a grouping, and these were found at the base of Mount Sinai on the periphery of what would have been the, camp, the campground. <clears throat> this one says, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. That's in Galatians. The, the inscription doesn't say that. The inscription says, died Hagar. These are all funerary. Mm, okay. It says died Hagar, but Hagar is a name directly associated with Sinai in Scripture. Now, this is not the original Hagar, but she was the matriarch of the region. Her son was Midian, mm-hmm. right? So her name would have been used a lot in, in, the, in the region. Uh, so this one says died Hagar. Now, the next one says, So these are like tombstones in a way? Well, they can be written on a tomb. This is one of the first uses that was made of the alphabet. Names, basically. That's the signature of the early period of, uh, of literacy, names. Names on graves are, in this case, probably it's the name of the place where they died. Okay. So they had put like a memorial there. Right. But they might also put their name on an actual... So they're, they're a version of a history book of what happened here. Yeah. 
Okay. Or like a plaque, like you see on a yeah. roadside yes. uh, where no, there's exactly. something historical happens. Right, or, you know, cross put at the site of where someone okay. died. Okay. So, yes, but it also could be on a gravestone. Hmm. So we know why, what it means. And this, this one, the third in the trio, says, died Amaya Bot Hagar. Well, Bot is Hebrew. So these are Hebrew inscriptions and Hebrew names, mm. biblical names, all right? So we know this is Hebrew writing because the name for daughter in every other language is different mm. uh, in the languages in the region. So these are Hebrew inscriptions here, and that's very important. So Amaya, Hagar and her daughter, Amaya, were killed by the, the Amalekites or an Amalekite, and they got there in time to take out the Amalekite, but not in time to save the lives of of Hagar and her daughter Amaya. So this comes this this story comes straight out of the pages of Exodus. Mm. So that's really quite important. Now we've got we've got a lot of of early evidence that these people this the alphabet was born at Sinai, and that's important because if you're following the Israelites, you're following the alphabet. It goes down to Sheba and then up to Israel, then it spreads out to all the world. So that, or the, that, those are the crumbs and the clues that we're following. Eupolema said that Moses taught the alphabet to the Jews, and the Phoenicians got it from the Jews, and then the Greeks from the Phoenicians. Mm. So, and he was like second century. So he got it right. Yeah, he did. So they've known this for, for a long, long time. Uh, Hubert Grimm, who was one of the earliest and greatest of the uh, linguists, of Hebrew, he said that it was, he, he looked at the, the inscriptions at Serbet El Khadim. This is a turquoise mine in the Sinai Peninsula, very important to the, to the Egyptians. And we're, we're gonna go into those inscriptions. Uh, but he found it, that it was written, they were written in pure Hebrew. Hmm. Stephen Kager later said the same thing. Far from questioning the ability of Moses to write, he had progressed to an alphabetic style of reading. He was, a, he was another linguist who had studied these. So we have Grimm, we have Kager, we have Jones and Petrovich, Douglas Petrovich, who all said the same thing. Hebrew is the original alphabet of these earliest alphabetic inscriptions. Hmm. So that's a lot of, a lot. The alphabet was invented at Sinai, then carried to South Arabia, that would be Sheba, then to Canaan, and eventually to Phoenicia. And the Phoenicians were great seafarers, so it spread, spread all over. It spread to the Brahmic alphabet in India. Just There's only been one alphabet. Hmm. And, it, and it's an innovation that's so, so great. Everybody just copied and imitated. Now, they look all different today, but we can trace them back to this original alphabet, which, which appeared at the time of the Exodus, in the path of the Exodus. So now the- and God handed down the writing of God on the tablet. That's right, so the alphabet, or uh, alphabet, however people want to uh, call it, uh, of the Hebrews, this was, so the Egyptians from where they came, of course, you know, this happened at Sinai, before <laughs> that was in Egypt. So the, the Egyptian hieroglyphics are not an alphabet. Is that an important distinction to make? Yes, they're not. Pictographic writing is not alphabetic. Hieroglyphs are cuneiform, they're not alphabetic. Now, but they can be. They developed a kind of shorthand, it said for the, and we'll look at that. Okay. They developed a kind of shorthand, simplified glyphs of each of the sounds of their language. They never used this in alphabet. Mm. They kind of piddled with it as a kind of a shorthand. 
but they never developed it for their culture. So the first alphabet then is Hebrew. Same thing with cuneiform. Mm. When, the, when the alphabet hit the promised land, hit Canaan, mm -hmm. they said, that's a great idea, and they developed a cuneiform alphabet. Ah. And that was very, very important for about 150 years. You know, but that's proof that the alphabet arrived because you can see they're trying to imitate the same shapes of the letters. Mm. And they have the same names, the same order of the alphabet. So obviously, it was an innovation that came from the alphabet arriving there. So, yeah, that's good. So we can see on the map, we can see it started at Mount Horeb, the, the, uh, um, the, red, the, the, the red marking on there. Mm -hmm. And right left of it, you can see this is Sinai Peninsula mm -hmm. right there. And then it went down to Sheba, and then back up to Israel, and then spread out everywhere. So David is the one who, uh, David Roll, who really I worked with a, a lot on the new chronology edition of the Bible. Great guy, he was very patient with me, because this is a very complicated subject, the chronology, but he managed to, he managed to make it simple enough that even I could understand it. <laughs> so it was good. But he's, he said in his book, from Eden to Exile, the Ten Commandments were carved in the world's most ancient alphabet. Scholars call the script Proto-Sinatic because it was first discovered scratched on the rocks at Sarabit el-Hadim. Now, he is, a, a, he is an archaeologist, but the other people we talked about were linguistic experts, and they had actually deciphered some of the writing on it. Graham, Kager, myself, and Douglas Petrovich in that order. Uh, so, you know, it's good to have anybody's opinion. Yep. <laughs> right? that these other people supported and think it works. The writing was the writing of God. So the, the thing about all of these people that came before, like Grimm, Hubert Grimm, Stephen Kager, uh, and Eupolemus and many others, there are many others, they did not know, and, and Leonard Schlein, there, there's just other experts that have posited this, that it was the alphabet. They did not know about these inscriptions from the base of Mount Sinai in Midian. Mm. Okay, so that very important. Their support is impressive, and it's it's good. But they did not have these inscriptions from Mount Sinai like we did when we showed them on, you know, the Stop the Press moment on on Saturday and Shabbat Night Live in 2015. And there's more yet now. Yes, there is, and we're gonna we're gonna show some of these, uh, some of these new inscriptions. Um, now, the thing about the, the stripling interview that we just saw, they haven't even published theirs yet. But he mm -hmm. did agree. He did agree to an interview with me and explained that they were those same set of, of characters that we were looking at in mm -hmm. Sinai. And he shared some of them with me, which we will, we will show you. We're gonna... Now, by the way, he, he mentioned uh, later on in this interview, you've shown me the whole thing, and he says that he's going to release some of his findings later in the year. Is that 2022 is what we're talking about? Yes, he's looking to release them by the end of the summer or the fall. Okay, very good. And, and uh, we'll, we'll interview him again. But uh, what he showed me is enough to know what these characters are. Oh, that's very good. And he exciting. confirmed it. He confirmed it with me, so we, we know what we're looking at. But it was at Sarabit Hadim where we have the greatest collection of them. The turquoise mine in the Sinai, and there's some really impressive things about that. It obviously it uttered in, it ushered in a huge revolution, you know, in in communication. Orly Wasserman, who studied this, a biblical archaeologist, um, he said the alphabet was invented in this way in the Bronze Age at Sarabit El Hadim. It actually came a little earlier, but 
Hmm. They, that's the greatest collection of inscriptions right there. Okay, during the reign of Amenemhat III, which is great, because Amenemhat III was the pharaoh of Zappanaspa-Aneach in the Bible, he's called. His other name was Joseph. Aha. Right. Okay. Okay, so he was involved in the creation of those inscriptions, and we're going to look at it. Goodness. Now, I think we've talked about doing maybe a, a love gift and expanding on this a little bit more than we, we have will, time for it today. We, we, won't have to, we won't have time to tell the story of Joseph. But it's, it's incredibly fascinating because some of it comes from the Bible, of course. Mm -hmm. But we get more information out of the Egyptian record, which is really? great. Once you got the chronology down, if you identified this guy, then you look in the, the, the record for confirmation. It tells the rest of the story, which is And further proves that Joseph then indeed he was existed involved. as well. He was involved in this. Now, the third letter we're going to learn is hay. So okay. We've got the kafta, the aleph, and the hay, and we're going to trace these so you can see they're all the same character set. Okay. Yeah, there's variants, but they're basically the same character set. Uh, and this is from the science, it's called the Sinai hieroglyph because it appears that those, those inscriptions that serve at El Hadim and practically nowhere else. Mm -hmm. But you can see it's a man with his arms raised uttering that timeless exclamation hey, what am I doing here? You know, <laughs> calling out, calling out to your supreme, mm. to, to God, right? Okay, and this is the, you can see on the left, these are the beginnings of the, the proto-Semitic. It was pictographic, but then it became a symbolic alphabet. You can see, you can see that's the little guy there, right? In the box, you can see that's there the little is. figure. Mm -hmm. It's a simplified figure, but it's good. So that's the hay. So we've got that, the calf, the elephant, and the hay. And you can see them here. So much in the region, they adopted the Aleph and the, the little standing hour, little figure man, and they adopted that one. So Douglas Petrovich is the guy who said, this is the world's oldest alphabet. Now, I had said that in 20, in 24, well, in 2010, my book was first published. But, it, you know, we had already said that, and we had already said that here on Shabbat Night Live. Mm. But it was wonderful to have his confirmation because he took those inscriptions at Serabit El Khadim, the turquoise mine, and he, uh, um, and he translated them. First one to say, well, let's see if Hebrew works. Because mm. if you've got a series of, of, of symbols and they make sense in Hebrew, well, you found the master key. Right? They work. That's, that's mm. what language they're from. But you have to, no one had tried that because they didn't want it to be Hebrew. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. So why, is there a reason those three letters, were they just the most consistent throughout time that they kept appearing? Or, or why those three, the Kaf, the Aleph, and the Hay? I just wanted to pick three rather than 26. <laughs> okay, and, so it's I like those. <laughs> <laughs> so there's not any special significance to them. But... Uh, that they appear, you know, the hay appears in the, the name of God twice. Okay, there, that's important. Yep, yeah, so we might that, as well use that. That's going to be important. Okay. No, I'm just, I'm just like, curious. All right. <laughs> <laughs> like, and we can, we can, we, we, you can see them easy. Oh, but there yeah. are others. There are others. They're just e more easily identified. Yeah, and so the, the whole set is basically the same pictures. There is some variation for sure, but uh, it's, you know, you look at them, and yeah, it's the, they're the same set of the okay. alphabet letters, pictographic letters. So here's the first one that that uh, Petrovich, um, and you you, you got you have to understand this was a huge source of wealth for them, right? 
And so they, the grand vizier of Amenemhat III, we know this from the era of Amenemhat III, he sent his vizier to, 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 take, to supervise all of this wealth coming out of the mine. And that would be Joseph. Mm. So this is a, basically a picture of the arrival of Joseph. Now, he's going to be writing a book on Joseph, so I don't, I don't know that he's a proponent of the new chronology, so he may contest that date. Mm. However, I know it's Amenemhat III in the new chronology. So you be the judge. You know, we know it's Amenemhat III, so this would be his vizier arriving in there. And this is what it says, Levantines. That's Canaanites. The Levant is Canaan, right? Hebrews of Bethel, the beloved. So Beth-el means the house of God. The God, the, you know, Yehovah, the beloved. Mm-hmm. El, the beloved God, right? So that would be Joseph, because he's obviously an imminary. So we've got the second one says, the house of the vineyard of Asenath in its innermost room were engraved. They've come to light. Okay, so that is the name of Joseph's wife. Mm-hmm. So obviously he's going to build her a nice house, so he wants his family there with him. And then we go forward a couple of hundred years to the time of the Exodus, and he says, our bound servitude has lingered. Moses then provoked astonishment. It is a year of astonishment. So he's coming through. Everybody is coming under his banner in this time. And here's the one that I'd, we'd been talking about earlier. It talks about the overseer of minerals there at Sarabit el-Hadim. And his name is Ahisamach. And he's mentioned in the Bible because Oholiab, his son, the son of Ahisamach, is the one who Moses put in charge, or Yehovah, had called to take care of the, the cutting of the minerals. Obviously, a skill he learned from his father. Ahisamach, the overseer ah, of minerals okay. at Serbid Hel Hadim. So he sucked up all the Hebrews. He was liberating them as they went through. Wow. So, and you notice this, this one inscription has all of our letters in it, right? It's got the Kaf over here on the right. You see that? Mm-hmm. The palm of the hand with the three hash marks. It's got our little figurine guy, mm-hmm. our figure guy. Our hey. Hey. And it's also got the Aleph there. Wow. So this is, this is just to point out. So we're connecting the dots here from Serbet Hel-Hadim. And a lot of Hebrews would have been working on this. You know, remember, there was a Hebrew in charge. That would have been mm-hmm. Joseph, right? And it yeah. talks about them, the Hebrews there. So they would have had Canaanites and Midianites. You know, they're called Kenites in the Bible, but they're from Midian. They would have had Semites from the whole region, but a lot of Hebrews would have been working there. All right. Well, we have just scratched the surface. I think you need to come back. We need to finish this. Uh, there's a lot more to tell. Yeah, So, Dr. Is. Dr. Dr. Jones, thank so you. So we've for... got the first steps in place. Okay, well, excellent. Good place to start, and we'll continue next week. Thank you for joining us, and uh, hopefully you can join us next week when Dr. Jones and I will continue on this story of connecting the dots through the Exodus. So uh, we'll see you then. Until then, Shavuot Tov. Have a good week. 